there's a number of barriers for doctors. So you say, okay, we understand why some of the mainstream medical associations are sucking up to industry because they're being sponsored by Big Pharma, for example. But why aren't individual doctors speaking up? We found that there were 11 people on a committee of whom six were industry funded, especially the dairy industry, but also eggs and meat. And so we filed a lawsuit against the USDA at that time. Simply to say, hey, you're nice people, but you cannot be letting industry dictate what people eat. Big food watched what happened to big tobacco, and they said that will never happen to us. And so far they're right. They have fought with every dollar, with every lobbyist, with every advertisement, with every lie they could possibly gather together to make sure that they didn't follow in the footsteps of big tobacco. That's what big food has done. They're just giving people what they ask. And if people ask for vegan meals, well, guess what? Pretty soon they start offering vegan meals because they don't care. They just want your money. I'm with Wellness Forum Health in Columbus, Ohio, right in the middle of the United States. And our practice specialty is informed medical decision making. Uh, what this means for consumers is we have a very large library of materials and educational programs that help consumers understand all of the options available to them to um, achieve, maintain, or regain their health. Uh, and of course, some of those things include diet and lifestyle change. And when consumers are well-educated, which they're normally not about medicine, they tend to make better choices. And I'll give you an example. Um, a person taking a statin drug to lower their cholesterol thinks that, what are they really trying to do? Having low cholesterol is not the goal. Not having a heart attack is the goal. So we look at some of the drug companies' websites and you know, they reduce the risk of heart attack or stroke or death by about 1.2%. Not much. You can motivate somebody this way to want to change their diet and lifestyle habits. For practitioners, providers, medical doctors, we provide training on how to set up a practice that's profitable and effective and helping people to make these kinds of changes and to facilitate informed decision-making, and then we provide them with the tools. We have the biggest collection in the world of informed decision-making tools, educational programs, 3,500 hours of educational programs, and about 2,500 referenced articles in our library. So that's what we do. I've been a physician for 45 years, and for the first nine or 10 years of my career, I was a regular blood and guts uh, working doctor. Uh, it wasn't until I got so frustrated with general practice that I went back to learn how to become an anesthesiologist because uh, all my patients, no one was getting healthy. So I thought anesthesia, I'd have more control over the situation. And it was during my anesthesia training that uh, it became very clear that I needed to stop eating animals and the adoption of a plant-based diet was the key to my patients getting healthier too. And between the two, I adopted a plant-based medical career after that uh, uh, revelatory experience on the anesthesia service. So it's been 10 years of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it's been 30 years of plant-based medicine. Well, our current system um, in terms of how we educate doctors and train them is incredibly deficient and it leads to bad practices. Um, the first thing is doctors don't get enough, in my opinion, training in statistical analysis. And they're not taught to have what I call the curiosity gene. Um, I get a lot of medical interns and nursing interns and dietetic interns in my office. They come from all over the world. And the first thing that they have to learn to do is research. And they don't like it in the beginning. And I'm a very demanding 
uh, person to be a research assistant for because you have to dig and dig and dig and you have to analyze these studies and you have to learn to spot the shortcomings. None of them know how to do that when they get there and they all hate it. And then if they do it long enough, this amazing thing that happens, um, you see this switch where this becomes fun. It's fun to track this stuff down. It's fun to look at a study and be smart enough to know what's wrong with it. That this is subset analysis. This has conflicts of interest and on and on and on down the line. And there's not enough of this going on in medical school, in my opinion. And there's no training about nutrition. There's a lot of training about how to prescribe drugs and how to do procedures. And the drug companies are very involved in medical school, medical school training, giving textbooks. And you know, when, when, as soon as medical doctors become residents, they're exposed to other drug companies. The broccoli lobby is not represented in medical training. Way too much pharmaceutical influence, in my opinion. So doctors get into practice, and they're trained in a very reductionist approach that says, you give me your symptom and I will tell you what drug to take. And if that creates some more symptoms, then I'll either send you to a specialist or I'll give you some more drugs. And so people get sucked into what I call the medical mill. The medical mill is where you're having lots of tests and uh, diagnostic stuff done and lots of diseases being diagnosed, some real, some not. Uh, you go to lots of doctors, take lots of drugs. Every doctor's got a different body part. They don't necessarily coordinate with one another on what to do. This is the medical mill. And so all this adds up to uh, doctors often, usually I would say, telling patients to have tests, take drugs, endure procedures, um, presenting the benefits, which are small, but not usually expressed that way, not a full coverage of the risks, and not explaining that there's another alternative. People say patients won't do this, but they've never really been fully informed, because going back to my statin drug example, if a patient sees the actual data that this drug does not really do much for you, that patient can become very motivated to pursue a different path, which would include changing diet, exercising, losing weight, etc. Nutrition is not valued uh, in the training of a Western physician. We're given one or two hours of nutrition lectures on nutrition for burn patients and children with renal failure, but the role of day-to-day -day food choices and their role in the diseases people bring to us is never mentioned seriously at all. Doctors don't know anything about nutrition and the science is treated with contempt. Uh, nutrition, that's a sissy science, man. You want to be a doctor, you should be up in the emergency room sewing lacerations and fixing broken arms and delivering babies. Nutrition, boring stuff. And so there, there's an air of contempt about it. Plus the doctors are eating it themselves. They don't want to stop eating their steak and their lobster and so they're not going to tell their patients and they're not really open to the nutritional literature and the science saying clearly animal-based diets spawn diseases. So for all those reasons, uh, uh, they don't want to look through the telescope uh, to see the truth. And so they continue uh, treating symptoms from their patients nutrition-based diseases. Uh, ironically, they're doing all their heroics in the operating room, the emergency rooms from what their patients are eating and not recognizing it. It's, 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 a, it's a sad uh, situation of, of, the, of the blind trying to heal the uh, malnourished. I have to tell you something. If I hear one more time, we don't have enough research and we don't have enough data, my head is going to explode, seriously. And here's why I say that. The first thing is we have an enormous amount of data that's largely ignored. Um, one is population studies. You know, fortunately, there still are some places on the planet where people enjoy better health. You know, the heart disease and cancer rate in Uganda 
still very low. Okinawa, still very low. These people eat differently than we do. But um, I'll tell you an interesting thing that I got involved with pertaining to a specific disease that really showed me that the answers are all there. We just have to look for them and put the information together. Um, I developed an interest in inflammatory bowel disease many years ago because an acquaintance of mine had Crohn's disease and was most certainly going to die from the drugs or the disease, one or the other. So I started looking into it and I couldn't believe what I found. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies, not all packaged up like Dr. Esselstyn's data and some of the other people who you might be familiar with, but all kinds of data showing that, first of all, there's great geographic diversity in the incidence of this disease. Lots of it in the United States, westernized countries, not so much in Asian countries, Northern Africa. Um, the second thing is clear data points, clear connection between dairy products and Crohn's disease and that sort of thing. And, and not only that, enormous numbers of studies that have shown that when people eat more of a plant-based diet, this disease gets better. And on that basis, we started working on a protocol uh, to take all those different data points and put it together in a plan, which has worked very successfully in our office. And so um, I guess I'm getting a little bit tired of my colleagues using their laziness as an excuse for not moving forward with something. Because if you take the time to look into this, back to that curiosity gene I mentioned earlier, you'll find an enormous amount of data to support the use of diet for almost every chronic degenerative condition. Oh, there's no question my profession has been far from noble uh, in the way it has sacrificed its pursuit of the truth and scientific reality uh, to, in exchange for money and baubles from the pharmaceutical industry. It's, it's a, it, the philosophy that that the medication should be the first line of treatment for any patient um, is a betrayal of the truth, betrayal of our patient's trust, of their care. If we don't talk about what the patient is eating, uh, it's reprehensible for a doctor treating a three-pack-a-day smoker for bronchitis not to tell them, stop smoking in the same identical way for the person who's clogging their arteries, making themselves diabetic, inflaming their tissues from what they're eating, for the doctor not to say change your diet to whole food plant-based diet uh, because they don't want to, to look at this very powerful modality is a betrayal of their Hippocratic Oath, their principles, and it's lazy medicine, and the pharmaceutical industry panders to that. Yes, now don't ask about their eating, that takes time. Just write that prescription for the anti-inflammatory and suppress their symptoms till they come in next time with symptoms from the medication we just, you just prescribed for them. It's, it's a cynical, but a very expensive way to practice medicine, and that's, what's seen, that's the model rampant today. But it's changing. The medical students are asking questions. They know nutrition is important, and the public is demanding it. And this is a time of great change, and the old order is crumbling. And I'm happy to help that old order crumble. It's time for us to let nutrition in the front door where it belongs. I think that the medical profession engages in an all-out campaign to create doubt. Uh, one of the things that will happen if you're in this field, and I've experienced it personally, sooner or later you will have government problems. Um, so I have a very long story described in one of my books about how the state of Ohio came after me. Uh, for, went on for five years, and this is an interesting story for a different day. But, um, and then, so the first thing that happens, they go after you personally. Uh, then they'll attack your education and your training, and there's always something, some reason that has nothing to do with the discussion at hand. And I've always offered, listen, here's what we can do. You, uh, uh, let's have a debate. 
about the science only. That's all we're allowed to talk about. You can't dislike my hair or my nails or where I live or the name I chose for my cat. We're going to stick with the science. And I'll tell you how we'll do this. I'm going to give you every advantage. You tell me where and when to show up. Don't give me a topic. You let me know when I arrive. Okay? We'll do this in front of as large a group as you want. I've offered to do this in front of legislative committees. Nobody will show up. And the reason is because they really can't debate the science, so they've got to go after something else. It's my training, it's this, it's that. So yes, I think there's an all-out campaign, and a very prominent cardiologist uh, just came out and talked about uh, the, the, um, uh, the number of patients who start statin, statin drugs, who stay on the drugs 90 days after they're prescribed is down to 61%. Yay for our side. People are starting to wake up and realize these drugs have side effects. Maybe my calf hurts because of the standard. So he wrote, wrote this great big long article and he put it out on his blog and he's, you know, any place else that could post it, that this is because of people who spread myths about cholesterol, that there are other ways to lower your cholesterol besides taking the drug. Never mentioned anybody like me by name, but, but the inference was pretty clear. These crazy people talking about diet. Here I am you know, in this big important position, head of a major, have cardiology at a major medical institution, I'm so much smarter and brighter than they are, and this is what I have to say. I think that message resonates with some people, but I think it's resonating with fewer people, which is all good. Healthcare in the United States is a $3.2 trillion marketplace. If everybody started practicing the way that we do and formed medical decision-making, you have to tell the truth. Our business model is built on telling the truth. Who would have thought you could create a big international business by just saying, here's our unique selling proposition. We're gonna tell the truth, all right? But we did it, that's <laughs> truth telling so rare, we built a company around it. Well, but here's the point. If institutions started doing this, they would go into a gradual process of liquidation because people would opt for diet instead of bypass surgery. They would change their diet instead of taking metformin in most cases. Now there is a place for bypass surgery. There's a place for metformin. There's a place for most things we do in medicine, but here's the problem. These things are overused because if you only did bypass surgery for people who really would benefit from it, you do 15,000 procedures a year in the United States instead of a half a million. Well, there's no money in 15,000. There's only money if you convince a lot of people that they need it. If you only drugged people for type 2 diabetes who really, really needed the drugs, okay? Very tiny business. There's no money in it unless we start diagnosing people at lower and lower levels of abnormality and teaching them that the only solution is drugs. Distorting the truth to the public has become a science, become an art form these days. You can hire professional organizations to plant doubt uh, in the public's uh, mind and through the media uh, about any subject you like, and certainly uh, the entrenched meat, dairy, and processed food industries have invested millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into that very process. And so the majority, I think, of pronouncements that are made from everyone from the USDA to uh, uh, various private organizations, even the, uh, the so-called uh, establishment dietetic associations and, uh, uh, and various research groups who get money from the meat and dairy industry, uh, who get their educational materials furnished by the meat and dairy industry, yeah, even their message, though their intent may be pure, has become distorted uh, through the uh, uh, monetary interest of uh, the, a big industry. And, and it's easy to get cynical about this, but we just can't afford it. The truth is the truth. 
You see, you can't keep a hat pin in a cloth bag for very long. You know, the point comes out. And the truth is, animal-based diets are killing us on this planet. Plant-based diets will heal our bodies and our future. Uh, it's time to get that message out by whatever means possible. Oh, let me tell you my favorite example of research that's just so flawed it's beyond comprehension, okay? And this is a bit of a long story, but it's worth going into. So I think it was 2013 or 14. A study appeared in the New York, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine. It was covered in the New York Times. Okay, the disconnect between what was said in the New York Times and what the study said was so much that I kept looking at the study and saying, "I've got to be getting something wrong here," but I wasn't. So this is a study that was done in Spain. It was sponsored by an olive oil company and a nut company, and there were two groups. There were three groups of people: two eating a Mediterranean diet, two groups, and one group eating a low-fat diet. Okay, so problem number one. You've got the Mediterranean dieters that are eating the industry-sponsored nuts or olive oil. And then we're going to compare them to the group eating the low-fat diet. So this group of Mediterranean, both groups of Mediterranean dieters, 39% of calories from fat. The low-fat group, 37% of calories from fat. In what universe is that a lower-fat diet? This is like measuring the speed of hitting a building to assess how many people in the car would die. At 90 miles an hour, all the people die. At 80 miles an hour, all the people die. Why are you doing a comparison? How about 90 miles an hour and 20 miles an hour, right? So anyway, at the end of the day, this study was ended early because it would be bad to withhold the olive oil and nuts from the other people because the results were so spectacular, okay, that, that they just couldn't go on. So, so I looked at this and, and um, here are the results that were so spectacular. Um, I believe it was the olive oil eaters reduced their risk of heart attack by 1.1%. The nut eaters, six-tenths of 1%. Six-tenths of 1%. Now, that probably, that, that, that's so, st it's statistically significant, but who cares? Sponsored by industry. And then the misreporting sets in. Steve Nissen from the Cleveland Clinic, head of cardiology, says to the New York Times, along comes this ginormous study that, that shows that you can eat you know, olive oil and enjoy a great life and reduce your risk of heart attack. And he doesn't like Dr. Esselstyn, by the way, in his work, so this was his opportunity. I thought either Dr. Nissen doesn't know how to read the research or he deliberately intends to deceive. I don't know which it is, but it's bad either way. So here you have the perfect storm. You have industry-sponsored research that sets up a study with bad study design, no real difference between the groups that comes up with a statistically significant barely finding that's hardly worth reporting, that has no meaning for anybody. Nobody comes to me and says, listen, I just want to change things enough to reduce my risk of bad things happening by half a percent, okay? I mean, nobody in their right mind ever signs up for anything like that. And, and then gets blown out of proportion in the media, like this is some earth-shattering finding. You should get up in the middle of the night and drive to a store open all night and get yourself some nuts and olive oil and start eating tomorrow morning. And, and it's, that, that happens every day. It almost, it's the type of thing that can make you crazy just reading it. There's no question that uh, many people like the taste of steak in their mouth and they will die literally defending the right and the sensation of that activity. Uh, however, the truth is that uh, these simian bodies are not adapted to adopt to process a flesh-based diet, and and a diet based on animal flesh uh, is a recipe for 
death. It's a, uh, if someone wanted to ask me how to spawn a colon cancer, I'd say pack your colon full of meat right three times a day. If someone wanted me to ask me how to clog an artery, then keep your colon full, your intestines full of meat to spawn bacteria that make TMAO. There's dozens of mechanisms by which a flesh-based diet is going to spawn an epidemic of clogged arteries, heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, autoimmune disease, colon cancer. Um, a flesh-based diet is really, for us, is a diet of death. Not for a mountain lion, but it is for us. And, uh, and I, I feel grave trepidation, pun intended, um, for both the practitioners who are spouting this philosophy. Um, but yes, people lose weight and they may feel better initially. And, but the reason they lose weight is because the, the low-carb folks say stop eating dairy products, they're right. Stop eating oils out of bottle, they're right. Stop eating flour products and baked goods, they're right. So sure, people lose weight. But to pack your intestine full of meat three times a day as a, as a diet that will not only kill the people who eat it, certainly kills the animals, but it's going to kill this planet too. So uh, it, it's a fad of, of dangerous proportions, like, like our p politics has become toxic, our nutritional advice has become downright toxic now, those folks promoting this low-carb, flesh-based diet. All of these media outlets, almost all of them, have advertisers. So you, there's only so far you can go with some of this stuff. You know, some of the things that I talk about and, and write would never be published in a publication that takes a lot of money from drug companies, for example. Um, so that's a big problem. Another problem you have is, I've call, I call it the law of equivalency. And what this means is that if a, if a reporter is going to do a story on dietary fat, okay, so we're going to get somebody who advocates for a low-fat diet. And for purposes of our example, let's use um, Colin Campbell, who wrote the China study, and retired professor from Cornell University. And people who are watching this are probably familiar with his work. I mean, decades of original research, huge studies, 300 and some articles in the uh, medical literature is lectured all over the world, residencies in uh, um, other universities and other countries. And I could go on and on. He's got a, a CV that, you know, take pages, pages, pages. So he's the low-fat advocate. Then we have to find a high-fat advocate. So we find a New York Times reporter who's written a book on diet, which is not scientifically validated. And by the way, we live in the United States, so if you're a New York Times reporter and you want to write a book about diet, okay. But, but these two are not equivalent people. This is insanity to, to give them equal uh, say. But the, but the public doesn't know this. So here's the quote from Colin Campbell and why he thinks we, we should eat a low-fat diet. And here's the quote from our New York Times reporter who shall remain nameless, who writes a book. And the reader says, boy, there sure is a lot of confusion about nutrition because we've given equivalency to two people who are clearly not equivalent. And one of the things that I think we have to do, you know, we're, one the, we're one of the few countries on the planet that allows, only two countries, allow drug companies to advertise. And I think we get that stuff off the air. We stop promoting drugs to the public. And I also think that just as we spend so much energy in the United States on informed consent for things, you know, you got you to gotta look at documents and sign a stack this big to buy a house. You know, you have to do that to engage and to, to contract for medical services. So I think, for example, when women show up to get a mammogram, they should be forced to look at a document that says, I understand, and sign it, I understand that the risk of being harmed by having this mammogram is three times greater than the risk of being helped, but I still want it anyway. 
when a man shows up for a PSA test, they, he should sign a document saying, I understand the false positive rate 78% and that PSA is not a marker for cancer, but I want to have it anyway. I understand that Crestor only lowers my risk of a heart attack by 1.2% and I've been informed that diet would lower my cholesterol in a matter of weeks, but I do not want to do the diet and I want the Crestor anyway. If you were signing a mortgage document, they have that kind of language in there. When you're buying a car, they have that kind of language. We need that in medicine too. There's been a burgeoning, certainly of the natural food industry, uh, there, there's thousands now of, uh, of plant-friendly products and certainly in the food uh, industry. You can now walk into any restaurant, essentially, in the Western world and get a, a, a plant-based meal, uh, even in the steakhouses. And nutrition is starting to get some recognition uh, in scientific circles and even in medical circles. I uh, will be speaking at the fourth international conference of plant-based nutrition and medical care in Anaheim in, in September, and physicians from all over the world, from Israel and India and UK and Canada and Australia, they're all coming because the plant-based light is going on in each of their heads and each of their specialties. And here today at uh, PCRM's uh, conference on uh, nutrition and healthcare, there are there's dietitians and nurses and public health officials and lots and lots of doctors. The fact that this uh, conference is so well attended is such a hopeful sign. And I just uh, spoke to 40 bright-eyed medical students and dietetic students uh, who are open to the plant-based message, who have a plant-based nutrition interest group as first-year medical students that brings tears to this old plant-based doc's eyes. And so I'm finding uh, at this late time in my career uh, many, many reasons for hope. So uh, the, the wheels are starting to turn slowly, but they're turning. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on that.